So this is the first interview in a series of interview uh, interviews that I'm going to be conducting with uh, artistic people who I respect and admire and who inspire me. The first we have Alex Wand, composer, singer, um, band member, band leader, all in all, all, uh, artistic human being. So thank you, Alex, for being with us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Jessica. And if any of these questions um, trigger anecdotes or stories, feel free to enlighten us. Okay. So we'll start off with um, how has your artistic work or practice evolved through the years? Well, when I first started playing music, I learned you know, music notation, and my first instrument was the flute. So it was in a band set. I was in a kind of a concert band setting where there was a conductor, mm. and I was in fourth grade. And and then in middle school, the way I played music completely changed because I learned guitar. Mm. One of the first kinds of music, music I got into with the guitar was blues. In blues, there's a lot of improvisation. So... That's what I started exploring. We, that's when we started uh, a band together, just three of my friends. And then in high school was when I started writing songs. So um, I was in another band that was kind of like progressive rock. And we, we wrote songs together collaboratively. And then I wrote songs, you know, by myself. And the songs I wrote by myself were pretty typical in the evolution of a songwriter. Like, they were just, like, really sappy, lovey songs, you know? Awesome. Um, Which are kind of embarrassing now. But, um, yeah, and then in college... I started, I guess I continued writing love songs and being in bands and just getting better at singing. And um, I took a long time writing songs. You know, I really tried to make it perfect. I really make it really right, you know. Um, so put a lot of care into it in college and recorded a few albums. And then, from college, I went to grad school, and since then I've been in L.A. And that's been a kind of a new phase of my practice as a composer. Um, started really... Well, what CalArts did was it just opened up the scope of what I do as a composer and songwriter Um, and just that was the effect that CalArts had for me it was just seeing all these composers and songwriters and and just uh, the range of what they did I was like oh my god I can do that now I don't have to just write songs I could I could write music for animation or I could do um, I could score some film and you know um, I could do these pieces like compositions think of it more like a a composition 
exploration of um, what what sounds can this instrument make. Yeah, and then I started writing some chamber music at CalArts, uh, kind of expanding out of just like a band setting, you know. Mm-hmm. And then after CalArts, uh, I've been continuing doing that, also getting into different specialties in, in music, like music or like intonation, alternative intonation systems. But the big thing that has changed me um, in terms of my artistic practice has been Song A Day. Mm. The, the thing that Paul and I started, my brother Paul, and I started about three years ago, which it's a challenge to write a song every day for a month. Mm-hmm. And to write a, to write a song every day, you, you know, no one expects it to be a great song. So you're free from any expectation of of putting out anything good but it's, it's so it's mm-hmm. just about like the artistic practice itself mm-hmm. you know just being there every day and dedicating time to it kind of like you know a classical pianist will dedicate time to practice the piano mm-hmm. every day for hours that's how you become a good classical pianist mm-hmm. and um I found out that that's the same, or the same is true for songwriting and for composing. If you have a practice like that, you're going to learn so much, whether the idea itself that day is good or not. And if you do it enough, good ideas will, you know, they'll come out, they will. So, just thinking back to my practice when I, you know, to my songwriting practice when I was in middle school, or I'm sorry, in high school, in college, I would toil over songs. Now I don't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I just kind of let it come out freer, and I'm a lot more prolific now mm-hmm. because of that. Um, so that's been, I guess, the evolution of my artistic practice cool. in a nutshell. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Has that always been fun? Um, yeah, music has always been fun. I'm trying to think of a time when it wasn't fun. I guess I'm just thinking about composing. Sometimes composing is really hard and unpleasant. Mm. You know? Yeah. Song a day, even though there's not pressure to do a good song, there's still kind of a little pressure to do a good song because, you know, people are going to hear it. and you. Yeah. So, so I, I felt a lot, like, frustration at not coming up with something that I was happy with and uh, there's struggle and difficulty associated with that Um, and I guess that's part of the process because sometimes you have to go through that struggle and discomfort and just churn out some mediocre material in order to be able to get to the better material. The juice. The juice. That leads me to my next question. How have you dealt with fear in your artistic practice? Fear of not writing a good song. Fear of not being a successful musician. 
I remember going to a seminar in college. Daniel Bernard Romain, I think was his name. He's a composer from New York. And he was saying um, that fear was his driving force as a composer. You know? Um, because of fear, the fear of not being a composer, the, f the fear of, of not succeeding drove him to succeed. Mm -hmm. And he's actually, you know, has this whole music company that's really financially successful, and I think he's a pretty well-known composer. And, yeah, that kind of struck me, and... and uh, I don't think I agree with that about fear being the driver of of um, trying to be an artist. Um, I think people. I mean, I'm I'm interested in doing music. I want to get out of fear. Mm. Uh, I don't want it to be part of why I do music. I don't want to be afraid of not being successful or afraid of not writing a good song. That just doesn't, to me, that doesn't seem to be a... It, I'm sure, like, like Daniel said, I'm, I'm sure it did motivate him, but... Yeah, I wonder if that's the best kind of motivation. Mm. You know? Yeah. Um, fear. Um, what has aging done to your work and practice? I'm 30 years old. My taste in music has changed with age. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I, I guess when I was younger, I thought, oh, um, I, I better get get my fill with, like, being in bands and playing rock and roll, because when I'm older, it's, I'm not going to... I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to... Right? <laughs> but it hasn't been that way. Mm. I don't feel like there's a... Age is a determining factor for any genre of music. Mm. So I'm in a rock and roll band with brother and sister playing tonight. That's, that's rock and roll. I consider that rock and roll, and I'm still doing it at age 30. Oh, but, like, you think of, like, punk rock, you yeah. know? I remember thinking punk rock and metal. Mm -hmm. Like, mm, that's only for young people, you know? Oh, really? But then there's there's bands that are older that are still kicking ass. Like Slayer? Punk. Slayer or Converge or, you know, the Melvins or something. You know, these are all, like, rock and roll punk groups that, uh, they're old now, but they're still kick ass. Yeah. That's, yeah, so to me, I guess, my realization with age is that it's not a determining factor for music. And, re, you know, like collaborating with people like Heather Lockie, who's 45 years old, mm. has also reinforces that because Heather is like a young spirit. You know, she, you know, I'm, I hope I'm like that at age 45 where I'm just still writing music. And just being excited about writing songs and just still doing that. 
and not worrying about my age. What artists inspire you? Okay. Um, I'm inspired by a lot of the people around here that I'm friends with. Hmm. Um, That's cool. Yeah. Like you? <laughs> yeah. Really. And all the songwriters on Song of Day. Igazu. Mike Lockwood, mm. uh, Steve Blum, mm. Jake Rosenzweig, and I guess, so, not only inspired by their work, but also, you know, how prolific they've been, too. Mm. And then, outside of our circle of friends, let's see, Woody Guthrie, Moondog. Do you know Moondog? <laughs> he he's a New York guy who in the twentieth century he died I think in the eighties or something. But he uh he dressed up like a Viking and was kind of like a hobo in New York and he composed these incredible rounds. Mm. And uh, a lot of a lot of cool Instrumental music, too. Inspired, I think, the Desert Magic stuff. A lot of it was inspired by him. And, um... Also people like Larry Polanski, who's a composition professor at, uh... UC Santa Cruz. Um... Who wrote a lot of rounds. Um... Inspired by composers like um, Lou Harrison and Harry Parch, who explored music intonation in their music, which I've gotten really into, kind of exploring the subtleties of the different kinds of major thirds, or the you know, you know, because there there's an infinite amount of notes on the spectrum of a musical scale or on the spectrum of pitch so discovering that and discovering composers who explore that has been really influential Ben Johnston too who's a composer who wrote these beautiful string quartets mm. in just intonation so just intonation is a system of tuning that that's based on the harmonic series mm. And the harmonic series is basically a collection of notes that's embedded in a single note. So when I sing a note like, oh, there's actually many notes above that. Wow. Do you hear when I move my mouth? Yeah. You hear different notes, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm just emphasizing one of those notes when I move my mouth. So that's what the harmonic series is. Same th if you pluck a guitar string, same thing's going to happen. You're going to hear one note, but really there's a whole infinite amount of notes above that note that's existing, that's um, determining how that note sounds. Just intonation is a system of tuning that um, derives its notes exactly to match that harmonic series.
mm-hmm. as opposed to the piano. The piano is, is just an equal-tempered um, series of notes that really, it's not derived from the harmonic series. Or another way of saying it, it's not derived from the physics of sound. Hmm. But the harmon- uh, but uh, just intonation is basically expression of the physics of sound. So that excited me. Um, you know, so my guitar, my national steel guitar, um, is is uh, a guitar I bought as a fretless instrument, and I put the frets on myself to be in this just intonation tuning system that Lou Harrison, composer, in his last years of his life, got commissioned to write a microtonal guitar um, piece, and he refretted, he designed a tuning and mapped it onto frets of a national steel guitar. And I got to rent the prototype of that guitar for two years. And that had a big influence on me playing those intervals with the guitar, and then after a while, I didn't feel like paying $100 a month to rent it, so I bought my own national, and uh, put frets on in a tuning similar to the Lou Harrison tuning. Mm. And then Harry Parch, big influence, also kind of like a similar personality as Moondog. He's, he was a hobo in the Great Depression. He is just a total maverick composer. You know, he he basically invented his own tuning system, and then he on top of that he invented instruments that played in his tuning system. So, you know, just a visionary guy. And of course, I I got to play in the Parch Ensemble for several years. Hopefully, they asked me to do it again. Uh, but yeah, so that's been an influence on me for sure. Oh, and I, I guess like, it's, so there's like the little the experimental side, the Kyle Arts world intonation, but then I, and yeah, I guess I'm influenced also by some kinds of pop music too, you know? Um, you know, like Kate Bush or Grimes. So, Prince, Prince, yeah, definitely Prince, yeah. When you daydream, what do you think about? To do lists, <laughs> and I daydream about you. <laughs> Daydreaming is creative ideas come from daydreaming. Mm. In the morning, I'll often have ideas mm. for things that are kind of just spontaneous and me wandering around in my thoughts, and then, oh, there's an idea. Cool, <laughs> write it down. <laughs> so, morning time is like that. When you listen to music, what do you think about? 
I try and not think about anything. Oh. Mm -hmm. Try and not think about anything. And I think when I'm not thinking about anything, that's when I'm really listening to music. Mm. Um, when I'm thinking about something, then the music... I mean, I guess I can listen to music in the background and do work and think about all sorts of things, but then that's not, um, that's fine too, actually. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about that, okay, so, because there's the, there's the John Cage quote about, like, basically what I said, where he said, you know, you, you shouldn't think about anything when you listen to music, you should just be merged with the music. Um, but then I was thinking about background music. How does that come, you know, how does that work with that John Cage quote or that ideal of not listening or not um, thinking about anything? That's almost like having a painting on the wall that you don't always perceive um, consciously, but it's there in your psyche. Or, or wallpaper or, or any kind of hmm. thing. Um, music can be part of your background environment. You can go about your day thinking about anything, and then it could be there. And I like that idea. Um, so sometimes I do. I, I listen to a lot of Terry Riley when I do work, because his music to me is like a nice wallpapery music. Um, hmm. Yeah. When you're bored, what do you do? I haven't been bored in a really long time. <laughs> I, um, I remember being, as a kid, when I was bored, I would just lie in the carpet and just writhe around. <laughs> just thinking like, ugh. Right? You know, and just kind of squirm about. It's <laughs> um, funny. But then at, at a cer certain point, I I, I, uh, I don't really get bored. I don't know. I, at least in the way I did when I was a kid. Um, or maybe the boredness has kind of just spread out to all of all of my whole existence where I'm just like mildly, very, very mildly bored <laughs> the whole 24 hours of the day. Whereas when I was young, it was like focused, like, okay, I'm bored now. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Do you have any rituals? Uh, yes, we just participated in one of them. That's right. <laughs> we did a cacao ceremony just now where we drink cacao from, you know, just a block of pure cacao and made a drink out of it and then meditated for 15 minutes and then did a breathing exercise for 5 minutes and then just lie down for undetermined amount of time. And that's been a kind of new ritual for me mm. to... There's also the... Okay, okay, that's right. So I was in a show yesterday. I performed yesterday. And 
there were, I was about to be called on stage, and I don't know, spontaneously I did this, I, I, uh, I, I clasped my fist and just put it against my forehead, almost like that statue in, um, in France, the, the, the thinking man statue or something, mm. you know, and I closed my eyes, I squinted, and I said, just get in the zone, just get, just, you got this, Alex, you, you know, you know, just keep pumping myself up, um, and I thought I was alone in the backstage, but there was one of the other performers there, and right when I opened my eyes, he just started laughing at me, he just laughed, and he's like, what is this guy doing, he didn't even say, what are you doing, he said, what is this guy doing? So I felt like he was making fun of me, but I didn't care. <laughs> anyway, so that, maybe that's, I think that's the beginning of that ritual. Mm. The first time I did that was yesterday. I think I may mm. want to do that again, because I had a good performance yesterday. Great. Other rituals include um, eating root vegetables before performances, because that is grounding and it makes me feel good and nourished. I feel like I can do a good performance with, like, beets or carrots, roasted veggies. Mm. Any other any other rituals? I mean, I meditate every morning. I guess that's a ritual. Oh, 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 yeah. Desert Magic has done rituals where we do... Um, We've done this several times before tours. We'll do a ten-minute improv right before we hit the road. Mm. You know, cool. and that sets the tone for the tour. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. It's a huge butterfly in that tree. Mm. Beautiful. Um, last of the artistic questions: What song would you dance to for your last dance on Earth? Wow. Probably Running Up That Hill by Kate Bush. Great choice. Because <laughs> it's like you're making a deal with God. Mm -hmm. You're running up that hill mm -hmm. with no problems. Make a deal with God. Get him to swap our places. Right? You're swapping places with God almost. So it's like, wow. whoa, perfect before you die. Oh, deep. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> I think you already mentioned this, um, but maybe it's different from uh, from your work in Song a Day. What would you consider your greatest accomplishment thus far in your life? Play Song a Day. I don't even think of it as an accomplishment, though. Something you created. Yeah, it's a service to humanity. Yeah. Because when you think of accomplishment, it's like, I did something and here's the... Uh, I guess that makes sense. Um, accomplishment. Like, I accomplished. Like, when you think of an accomplishment, it's like, okay, you accomplished, you got a degree from a university. You run a marathon. You run a marathon or you win an award or you win... Well, you won an award. Right. That's true. Prestigious award. Prestigious. <laughs> um... 
But yeah, in terms of like, if you, if you define accomplishment as like, okay, the, how much good has that had on people in the world? You know, mm-hmm. I think price on a day. What's your biggest regret? Biggest regret? I remember one of my friends uh, died of a heroin overdose when I was in college. He was a high school friend. And right before, or a month before he died, he called me and he left this really beautiful message saying, hey, Alex, Zach, you know, just want to reconnect with you. I haven't seen you in a while. would love to hang out, come up to Ann Arbor and hang with you. And um, that's where I was living at the time, mm-hmm. Ann Arbor, Michigan. And, you know, just saying, hey, I'm doing better now. You know, because everyone knew he was addicted to heroin. And he's just like, I want to say, I'm doing better, and... And then I never called him back. Yeah, a month later he died. And I remember finding out he died, like this shooting guilt of, oh my god, I never called Zach back. I never got to call him back. And uh, I remember regretting that. I guess that, that that's like maybe a theme with me, like, I, I kind of, I'm not as so good at cultivating relationships in life, uh, I guess that's just one example of it, so, maybe that's one regret I have in general. Thanks for being so open. Yeah. Um, on a lighter note, what's the weirdest habit you have? I, well, I do have this thing that I remember I told you about <laughs> where I, I I have, you know, the muscles at the bottom of my, ends of my mustache. I like just flexing those muscles. You know, just flexing them. It's not quite a frown, but it's like a, hmm. It's like... Kind of puckering your lips. Purse. <laughs> yeah, pursing. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do that. Um, other thing I do sometimes is, you know, riding my bike down the hill. I, I'm going so fast, sometimes I just yell at the top of my lungs. And I yell when I'm at the top of the hill, I'm really, really high and go, Aah! At the bottom of the hill, I'm really like low. That is so cool. <laughs> you like go up and down your register. That's yeah, great. as I'm going down the hill. It's <laughs> <That's> great. <laughs> it's pretty fun. Awesome. Yeah. Um, Do you have a, a most memorable dream that you can describe? Good night dream.
I guess the, f the, the one that just appears in my mind is this recurring dream I used to have, not don't have anymore. But I would be driving on a highway in a car, and I would drive, out, drive, out, drive, and then I w wouldn't be able to control the speed I was mm. driving. You know, just lack of control. And then when a turn hit, I wouldn't be able to turn, and then I just just drive over a cliff or something. <laughs> so, and then I wake up before I hit the ground, or, you know. So that was a reoccurring dream I had. I think it may have been related to this incident that happened with my uncle and I when we were driving my Corolla. Actually, he was driving and I was a passenger. And we were driving on a side street. And all of a sudden, we were just accelerating. And there was a stop sign and we kept on accelerating. And, and, and my uncle Felix said, shit, I cannot stop this car, like, the accelerator is stuck. So we we were going like 70 on a side street in Michigan, and he was like violently kicking the accelerator, and, uh, I mean, for a second I thought I was going to die, or we thought we were going to get into a horrible accident, but then he kicked the accelerator in a way that freed it up, and then we were fine. But it turns out that was a defect of the Toyota Corollas. And, and it turns out other people did die from that defect. Wow. And uh, it had to do with the, the mat getting, s the accelerator getting stuck under the mat. Oh. So, <clears throat> anyway, took out that mat. <laughs> but I still had that, you know, still haunted me. Still had dreams. Um, is there anything that you wish you could change in your life? Mm. I wish I could pay off my debt. Um, I wish I could have perfect peace and quiet all the time. Uh, but really not really you know I mean those things are just small things oh I guess the dead is not a small thing <laughs> but uh is there a book that you read that has influenced your life mm-hmm um Robert Persig, Art and E. Uh, oh, sorry. Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance is the book that I read in college. I got the book in India. I bought it in India when I was 20 years old, and I read it. And I loved it. It was, it was a story about a father and his son taking a road trip across the U.S. in the motorcycle. Um, and it's a kind of a play uh, off the book Zen and the Art of Archery, which is a famous Zen book. But um, it just talks about um, 
the uh, kind of an appreciation for the unappreciated details of life, um, the maintenance of a motorcycle. Mm. You know how unsexy that is, but really, that's you know that's the that's the zen of it. You know that's like uh, that is the sexy part. You know the unsexy part. Um, you know, and that allows you to kind of enjoy more things in life, not think of life as this thing where, oh, okay, a show is happening, so that's the exciting part, and everything else is boring, you know, um, where you kind of can enjoy everything throughout the day as if it's exciting, and you find art in, in everything or something. I just read this cool book about Woody Guthrie, 26 Songs in 30 Days, which is about, that chronicles his time in the Pacific Northwest. Um, he was hired by the U.S. government to write music about the construction of hydroelectric dams in the Pacific Northwest. And just, you know, because the book, uh, yeah. The book goes through, the, you know, we we read about the story of Woody Guthrie and the struggles that he had, and um, and what what made him tick, basically. And that's really inspiring. You know, inspired by his music a lot, and and that's I guess one of the things that that whole. Um, story about Woody Guthrie writing 26 songs in 30 days kind of inspired Song a Day too. And of course, okay, so I should also say Tao Te Ching and mm. the I Ching have, you know, these two books I consult pretty much every day. I've set a lot of the Tao Te Ching to music and um, just found it to be a really great source of values and Harold's a mod. Oh, okay. I still haven't seen that. <gasps> but now we gotta watch it. Oh, yeah, we should watch it. Harold's a mod. Yeah, Cat Stevens did the score. Mm. And Hal, or Hal Ashby, I think, directed it. And um, it's just an amazing story. It's just beautiful, unlikely love story of this teenager and an 80 year old woman. Just the most beautiful story. Yeah, it's funny. It deals with a lot of serious, deep things, but then is also light and playful. And yeah, it's it's great. Mm-hmm. Biggest lie you've ever told. Biggest lie.
Okay, I guess the only big lie that comes to mind is when I was in third grade. I uh, moved from El Paso, Texas to Michigan. And El Paso, Texas, you know, in the south, I I guess I developed a kind of accent, like a southern twang there, southern accent. And when I came to class, you know, in third grade in, in Michigan, all the kids were fascinated by this. They were like, oh, look at this southerner. And they had all these stereotypes about what southerners are, you know, you're a cowboy, you're, you, you lasso, you rope, you're a cattle herder, you can lasso up the cattle. And they, they asked me, they were like, so you can lasso cattle, right? Like, are you a cowboy? And I said, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 I'm a cowboy. I can lasso up. I can, and then I, I, I was, I basically, like, told these, like, complete lie stories where I'm like, yeah, I used to lasso up all these cows. And, and I was just, like, lassoing them all up. That's hilarious. And I remember, like, yeah. The kids thought I was cool because of that, but it was a complete fabrication. Would that also be the best lie you've ever told? Um, probably. <laughs> What's the best meal you've ever had? I think gotta be at my uncle's house. My uncle is on a vineyard. Um... He has the most incredible kind of celebration parties, potlucks, where people bring food. But really, mostly he cooks everything. Yeah. He is just a, he is a brilliant cook. Um, I do remember this one Thanksgiving. So, yeah, one Thanksgiving like three years ago that I went up to Oregon there at his vineyard, and he killed uh, one of his own lambs. And he, you know, grilled it, like, almost like an asado, like they do in Argentina, you know, on the open fire. And I remember, so I'm a vegetarian, mostly, right, a pescatarian, so I, I very rarely eat meat, but I ate meat at that Thanksgiving, and I ate the lamb. I remember just being this really special just A, because it's my uncle's amazing cooking. B, is this land that he raised. And C, I was like, wow, I've never, I very rarely have meat like that, you know. Mm. Um, and then it was just all sorts of other things. Like, my grandma cooked, her, she made her, like, classic nustote, which is like a nut cake mm. from German, like an Austrian nut cake that she makes. Mm. It's like, it's like coveted in our family. You know, mm. like, we, everyone, like, she makes this nut cake for everyone's birthday, and it's like the best present ever. Wow. Um, so she made that, and um, yeah, I think that's gotta be the best meal. Um, what were your interests as a child? I was interested in anatomy when I was like in third grade and fourth grade because I wanted to be a doctor so I'd study all the bones in the human body I memorized all over 200 bones in the human body 
Um, my grandfather was a doctor. So. Really into baseball cards when I was younger, like maybe seven, six or seven. Swimming. I was on the swim team, like starting in first grade. I used to swim in competitions and everything. Then mm. chess. Chess is like a family pastime. Everyone in my family plays chess. We always play chess. It's all. It's just a family thing that uh, I, I played little tournaments when I was in middle school mm. um, I still play we, I just played a bunch of chess with my stepfather when we were in Oregon mm. last weekend so. what items that you own could tell the story of your life multiple items could be yeah guitar. I've had that for about 15 years hanging on the wall. And that was my second guitar I had ever owned. And it's still a great guitar. And I've used it in, you know, throughout the course of my whole musical life, you know. So it kind of traces the whole evolution we talked about, about um, how I've changed but the constant has been that guitar I guess mm. I don't put too much importance on physical things mm. um, I do have a cross um, that this girl Regina gave me when I was in uh catechism, studying, you know, the Bible, she gave me this cross, and I had a big crush on her, and she gave me this cross, so that was, like, really special, I'm like, oh, she gave me a cross, <laughs> and I still have it, um, this, I have this treasure chest that, you know, all right, um, and so the cross is, is one thing that I think maybe defines I mean, not that I'm religious in a Christian way, but I'm religious in a, a different way. You know? well, we'll talk a little bit about what's in your treasure chest. Okay, so I have a bunch of cassettes that I recorded my dreams on. So I have a dream cassette tape yeah. series. <laughs> and then I have a bunch of journals that I wrote starting in fourth grade. I started journaling. So I have books upon books of journals. I guess that's that's a physical item that's definitely defining that phase of my life. A physical item. Um, my last question is: describe your personal style. Doesn't have to be just clothing. 
could just be like air about you or air about me. the way you live your life I guess the poncho that my brother got me is like that pretty much what I um, the poncho that my brother got me is like a Tibetan poncho and I put it on and I feel like really good when I am wearing this poncho I feel like there's like an air of mystery or something that I like about the poncho. Um, so that's going to be my favorite article of clothing and one that I, I guess, if I were to have a personal style, I'd want it to be like, reflect that, the feeling of that poncho. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Jessica. The interview on your life. Thank you. It's so quite enlightening. Thank you for your wonderful questions. <laughs>